who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. Rescue teams are continuing their search for a local man named Carson Mueller, who disappeared from his home last week. Carson is the younger brother of Laird Mueller, the infamous sleepwalking killer. Laird is serving a 15-year sentence for manslaughter in the 2001 slaying of a jogger named Janet Hayes. His case drew considerable controversy when Mueller claimed he had no memory of the event, and that he'd been sleepwalking when it happened. It was becoming increasingly apparent that Milo was lost, which was something he was ashamed to admit to himself. He'd lived in that city since he was a toddler. He drove a cab for a living. He should be able to navigate those streets in his sleep. And yet... Every street he turned down looked suspiciously unfamiliar. He looked around, searching for a recognizable landmark, but everything appeared vaguely alien, the stoops and storefronts all seeming foreign in a way that he couldn't quite articulate. He was glad this lapse hadn't occurred while he had a passenger in the car. Getting lost in your own city had to be something of a cardinal sin for cab drivers. After a few blocks of aimless driving, he pulled over and took out his phone to check his GPS location. When he finally figured out where he was, he drove back towards the downtown area and parked in front of a convenience store. It was that dead part of the night, between the dinner rush and that final surge that arrived when the bars closed. So, until the woozy patrons were ushered out onto the sidewalk, he had a bit of time to kill. He stepped out of his car and set off towards the convenience store. 
It sat on the corner of a quiet street next to a used bookstore called Poor Tony's. The fluorescent glow emanating from the convenience store's windows made it stand out against the surrounding darkness, imbuing it with the promise of caffeine and sugar and whatever else might shake him out of his stupor. When he got inside, though, all he found was an unruly vagrant standing at the counter, harassing the shopkeeper about the price of a whiskey bottle. Behind him, a young mother waited patiently with her children to buy a carton of milk. In an effort to ease the apparent tension, the cashier fanned his hands out at the rowdy drifter, saying, Hey, take it easy, man. There's kids here. The vagrant's eyes grew wide, and he spun around wildly. He glared down at the children, and then looked up at their mother, bouncing a newborn baby on her hip. I don't see anyone in here that's under the age of twelve inches tall, the vagrant exclaimed. Milo, who was standing by awkwardly while this exchange took place, made brief eye contact with the shopkeeper before returning his gaze to the floor. When he finally made his purchase and got back out to his car, a call had come in for a pickup at a bar in downtown. As he drove over, he was still held by a vague sense of unease. Ever since he'd gotten himself lost, something had felt off. The feeling had only been intensified by the peculiar scene in the convenience store. It all had him thinking of his childhood, of his mother's insistence that he not go out at nighttime. When he was growing up, she had always demanded that he came inside when it got dark, warning him to stay away from the night people. When it gets dark, the night people come out, she would say. That's why you must come inside. She had never described the night people to him, had only implied that they were dangerous. And when he got older, he realized that she'd probably just made the night people up so he wouldn't defy her. But sometimes, when he drove through the city at night, he wondered if his mom might have known something he didn't. The city felt hostile sometimes when it was draped in darkness. It was a sea of unfamiliar faces, overlaid by the constant shrieking of distant sirens. It was a landscape that thrived on volatility. Soon, though, Milo was picking up his next passenger a bubbly woman with a beehive haircut with whom he shared a few minutes of amusing conversation. As they chatted, his anxiousness began to subside. He eased back into the rhythm of picking up passengers and delivering them to their destinations. The day had worn on him, though, and he could feel exhaustion coming on. The final leg of the night passed in a kind of daze. He was so tired by the time he got home and crawled into bed he could barely even remember dropping off his last passenger. He lay down and was just beginning to drift off, when he heard something. A subtle rapping, like the knocking of a tree branch against the wall of his apartment. He held his breath and listened. The night people, he thought again, returning to the fears instilled in him by his mom all those years ago. He looked around his darkened room, feeling the rapid beat of his heart beneath the covers he'd pulled up to his chin. He laid like that in perfect silence for a few moments, but then he began to feel childish and sat up in bed. 
What's with you? He thought to himself. Why was he suddenly so disturbed by the ridiculous things his mom had told him as a child? He was a college-educated adult. He didn't exactly graduate, but it wasn't for lack of intellect. He was smart, logical. He wasn't afraid of the dark. And his mom had said all kinds of bizarre things to him growing up. She'd once looked him square in the eyes and said, You were born into a pit of snakes. He couldn't take everything she said to him seriously. And what had even ignited this repressed fear of his mother's night people? It had been almost ten years since she passed away. Why the sudden preoccupation with her wild beliefs? Maybe some part of him felt guilty for failing to live up to his mom's expectations, for not following through with college or finding himself a quote-unquote real job. But if that were the case, it still wouldn't explain why the uneasy feeling had come over him so abruptly. He dropped out of college over a decade ago and had been driving a cab for nearly as long. Nothing had changed in his life. Nothing out of the ordinary had occurred. So why was he so fixated on his upbringing, on his memories of his mom? And what was the root of this persistent fear that gripped him? His relationship with his mom had never been a simple one. He was just three years old when they had immigrated to America. Aside from his mom, his sister, Liska, was the only family he ever had. He and Liska had never known their father. As a kid, when he would ask his mom what his dad was like, she would flat out refuse to tell him. Eventually, he just stopped asking. But it was something he never stopped resenting his mom over. At various points in his life, he had tried to rationalize her reasons for not telling him. Maybe his dad had been abusive or a deadbeat criminal. Their mother's refusal to reveal their father's identity had been a point of contention for his sister as well. But Liska had coped in her own way. She'd sought refuge in occult practices and tarot cards, seeming to think that she could reconnect with their father using some kind of esoteric rite. Milo had tried to remain close to Liska after their mother had passed, but as the years went by, they'd fallen farther and farther out of touch. He still wished things were different. Liska wasn't just his only remaining family, she was his sister, and his twin sister at that. But that was Liska. She had always been withdrawn, detached. She'd always had a cool, stoic way of keeping the world at an arm's length. He wondered where she was as he lay there, nearing sleep. He wondered why he couldn't help but feel like something was wrong. This morning, searchers located the body of Carson Mueller on the wooded outskirts of Bennington Park. The cause of death has not yet been released, but police say the case is being investigated as a homicide. This grisly discovery comes as residents begin to raise concerns that an active serial killer is at large. Some have voiced their fear that Mueller's death could be connected to the disappearance of Astrid Bremer, a local woman who failed to return home after an outing with friends on Saturday night. Milo awoke and swatted at his clock radio until it stopped making noise. 
He was going to roll over and go back to sleep when he remembered he was scheduled for the day shift. So he rose slowly and ambled out to the kitchen to make something to eat. He sliced a bagel in half and slid it into the toaster. Then he rummaged through the refrigerator looking for cream cheese. When he realized he was all out, he grabbed a pen off the counter and added cream cheese to the shopping list. He used his phone to take a picture of the list so he could grab the items on his way home from work. After he snapped the photo, though, he noticed the picture preceding it looked unfamiliar. It was a dark, almost entirely black image, but from what little detail he could make out, it appeared to have been taken from inside his bedroom. On the upper right side of the photo, he could see the outline of his bedroom window, and through the window, he swore he could see what exactly. It seemed like something was standing there, but it couldn't have been human. The proportions were all wrong, like its torso had been elongated, and on top of its head were those horns? There was something that resembled a jagged rack of antlers sticking up through the top of the window frame. He stared at the apparent figure gazing in through the window. The timestamp on the photo said it was taken at 3.27 that morning, but as far as he remembered, he'd been dead asleep then. He inspected the photo to see if he was in it. If he hadn't woken up and taken it himself, that meant... That meant someone had come into his apartment and photographed him while he slept. The idea made his skin crawl. But even as he studied it, adjusting the contrast and the brightness of the picture, there simply wasn't enough detail to see whether he was in it. He could see the silhouette of the figure in the window only because it was illuminated by the ambient glow of the streetlights outside. But within the room, it was pitch black. Was it possible he'd woken up and taken the picture in a sort of daze? He recalled the way he carelessly slapped at his alarm clock when it went off in the morning. Maybe he had knocked his phone in the night and accidentally triggered the camera. But that still didn't explain the figure in the window. He attempted to convince himself that it was just an unusual shadow and that the alleged antlers were just an illusion produced by the branches of a nearby tree. But he knew he didn't believe it. The apparition looked too symmetrical to be a random shadow. And what kind of animal walks upright and has antlers on its head, he wondered. He supposed it was possible that someone had pulled a prank on him, standing outside his window dressed in an absurd costume. It was nearing Halloween season. But still, if that was the case, where had the photo come from? For several minutes, he'd been staring at the photo, unblinking. But then he realized he was about to be late for work, so he stuffed the phone back into his pocket and finished getting ready. A few minutes later, he hurried out to his car and took off, his uneaten bagel still sitting in the toaster. Despite the sense of dread that the photo had imbued in him, he tried to maintain a chipper attitude with passengers. He kept things simple, smile in the rearview mirror, 
offer them a water bottle, tell them to have a nice day. He nodded and listened politely if they so chose to talk to him, which he was often surprised at how many of them did. It sometimes astonished him how comfortable people could be unburdening themselves to strangers. Why anyone would think a taxi driver would want to know their life story was beyond him. But he didn't really mind talkative passengers. As long as they paid their fare and weren't complete assholes, he didn't really care what they told him. When he got back from his lunch break, Milo was called out to the airport for a pickup. His passenger was a tall, slender man with straight brown hair and dark, sunken eyes. He was wearing a pristine gray suit and carried a single black leather bag. The man slid into the back seat, resting his palms on his knees and baring his teeth in the rough likeness of a smile. The man handed him a handwritten address on a folded piece of paper, and Milo set off on his way. As they merged onto the freeway, heading east towards the downtown area, Milo tried to break the awkward silence. You in town for business? he asked, glancing in the rearview mirror. The man shook his head, saying he was in town to see his father. Milo nodded looking out the window. So are you close to your dad? His passenger asked. Milo felt a pang of discomfort, thinking about the father he'd never known. Not as close as I'd like, he replied. Well, I'm sure the father watches over you, the man said. Milo's ears pricked up. I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, I said I'm sure your father watches over you. Milo puzzled over the words, The Father. Why did that sound like something he'd heard before? He felt like asking for clarification, but he held the words in. He wasn't going to indulge this man. Just sharing the car with him was enough to make Milo tense. All he wanted was to have this strange passenger out of his cab as quickly as possible. After they crossed the Fifth Street Bridge, Milo took a left and pulled up to the man's destination, an old gothic-looking hotel called the Burbank. The man tossed a $50 bill on the front seat, telling Milo to keep the change as he slid out of the car. Though Milo was relieved to have the man gone, the passenger had left a dark impression on him. He stewed over their brief and cryptic exchange his eyes continuously drifting into the rearview mirror, expecting the man to somehow be back in his car. He thought about the picture he'd found on his phone that morning, about the uneasy feeling he'd had the night before. Was this a random bout of paranoia, or had something latched onto him? He'd never been much of a believer in the paranormal, curses and goblins, his life had demanded a certain amount of practicality from him, but the circumstances he'd found himself in were pervaded by an eerie sense of suspicion. He felt like he was being haunted by something, like he'd been marked. His head spun as he drove people from place to place, anxiously wrapping his thumbs against the steering wheel. He tried to keep himself grounded, to remain focused on the present but his thoughts were growing frantic and desperate. Each passenger he picked up held the potential to be a threat, and he eyed all of them with suspicion as they entered his cab. 
His thoughts ranged from muddled to incoherent. And just as he began to grow concerned that he was unwell, that perhaps he should take the rest of the day off, he looked at the clock and was shocked to see that his shift was already over. But that couldn't be. The last time he'd looked at the clock, he had two hours left before he got off. And that was... How long ago was that? It felt like only minutes, but of course it couldn't have been. He checked his wristwatch as well, but it gave the same time. 6 p.m. Decidedly confused, he merged into the northbound lane and began his crawl through the evening traffic. When he arrived back home, he was exhausted. But he was also starving. So he procured a box of lasagna from the freezer and slid it into the oven. Then he laid face down on the couch until it was ready. He ate standing over the sink, and when he was finished, he lumbered down the hall and collapsed onto his bed. When he closed his eyes, he could still see the face of that freakish man he'd picked up from the airport. His eerie words still echoed in Milo's memory. He could have sworn the man had said, I'm sure the father watches over you. Milo wondered what the hell that was supposed to mean, and another part of him still wondered why it sounded so familiar. He couldn't shake the creeping suspicion that something was afflicting him. Not just anything, though. Something that was connected to his family. He didn't know why, but ever since the ominous feeling had started, he'd been unable to stop thinking about his family. His memories of them. His unanswered questions. I'm sure the father watches over you, he thought as he drifted into an unsound sleep. In his dream that night, he seemed to have found himself in a bar of some kind. It was dim and smoky inside. Red-tinted lamps hung overhead, and the room vibrated with the hum of conversation. In his hand, he held a glass with some kind of crimson liquid swirling around inside. His eyes were drawn from the glass to the crowd that stood before him, all of them eerily silent now, gazing blankly in his direction. All of them except one, and it was a face he recognized. It was his sister, Liska. She had emerged from the silent crowd and stepped towards him. Her long black hair was braided and hung over her shoulders like the tails of shining serpents. She looked mysterious, as always, dressed in all black, elegantly raising a flute of rosy-colored champagne in his direction. Liska? he asked in a hardly audible tone. She smirked at him roguishly. Hi, Milosh. It is her, he thought. Only his mom and his sister ever called him Milosh. He'd gone by Milo ever since he started school, but his mom and his sister never took to it. To them, he would always be Milosh. What are you doing here? He asked her. I didn't even know you were in town. Oh, you act like I abandoned you. She said, her narrow fingers reaching into her clutch to pull out a cigarette. And what would you call it? He asked. Look. She said, lighting her cigarette. I don't have time for this right now. I need your help with something. He looked at her in astonishment. How irreverent could she be? 
She had lifted her hands and placed them on the shoulders of a man standing next to her. The man didn't even react. Like the rest of the patrons in the club, he just stared ahead blankly. My friend here needs a ride, she said. You can drive him, right? It was here that Milo realized he was dreaming, because that was the point where his actions departed from logic. It was with a dreamlike absence of thought that he simply agreed. He didn't know what he said, necessarily, but he must have complied with his sister's request, because the next thing he knew, he was guiding the impossibly dazed man towards the exit. Bye, Milosh. He heard his sister say as he ushered the man through the door. As he led this robotic stranger through the parking lot and coaxed him into his car, he wondered what was wrong with the man. Maybe he was just drunk or on drugs. But Milo had never seen anyone having a trip quite like his. He seemed cognizant and alert, but appeared to completely lack self-awareness. Milo pondered the man's cluelessness while seemingly unaware of his own suggestibility. It was only when he sat down in the driver's seat and looked back at the man's blank stare in the rearview mirror that he realized he had no idea where to take him. Hey, he said, snapping and waving his hand in front of the man's face. Where am I supposed to take you? Hey, buddy. A second later, he got his answer. It just didn't come from the man in the back seat. It came from all around him. Bring him to me. The voice's deep resonance shook the windows of his car. Milo could feel it as much as he could hear it. Bring him to me. It said again. Milo was paralyzed with fear, unable to move. But he wasn't frozen in place because he could see his arms moving. He just wasn't the one giving them commands. He watched inertly as his hands shifted the car into gear and steered it out of the parking lot. Feeling like he himself was the passenger, he watched the alien pair of hands before him, steering them through the darkness towards the foothills south of the city. As they drove, the voice grew louder, and ever more insistent. Bring him to me. The booming voice became an assault to Milo's ears, and as they rounded a corner, he thought he could see something, standing in the road up ahead. It was tall and crooked, and had a jagged pair of antlers extending from its garish head. It held its arms out wide as the car approached, but the man in the back seat still didn't seem to notice. The last thing Milo remembered before he woke up was looking in the rearview mirror and seeing those empty eyes staring off into oblivion. He had awoken bathed in sweat. The first thing he did upon waking was reach for his phone and call Liska, but she didn't pick up. He sat up in bed and stared at his hands. They were still trembling. He could still hear the monstrous voice echoing in his head. The father, he thought, still trembling. The events of the last few days had pushed him to a tipping point with the mystery of his father. 
No more could he bear not knowing. And if his sister wouldn't do him the courtesy of answering the phone, he would have to look in the only other place where he might find answers. He dressed and set off for the storage unit where his deceased mother's belongings were held. It was his sister who'd been assigned executor of her estate, and she'd been the one to move their mom's stuff into storage. But he imagined that if she'd found anything pertaining to their dad's identity, Liska would have told him. But would she really? He wondered. He kept thinking about the devious, cunning side of his sister he'd seen in his dream, and now he didn't know what to think of her. When he arrived at the storage complex, and opened the unit where his mom's things were held, he saw a small, dusty space, containing a dozen or so boxes all stacked in rows. As he began to parse through her belongings, unable to locate anything of note, he wondered if he was setting himself up for disappointment. Maybe the secret of his father's identity had died with his mother. Maybe there was nothing to be found. He was certain something was wrong. He just didn't know if it was real or in his head. Maybe his subconscious desire to know where he'd come from had ignited his present mania. Then, though, he reached down to the bottom of one of the boxes and unearthed something that gave him pause. It was a set of envelopes, two of them. The first had his name on it, and the second his sister's. Oddly, his had already been opened but Liska's was still sealed. He reached inside and found a long, handwritten letter. He could tell right away it had been written by his mom. Milos, the letter said, if you're reading this, it's because I didn't have the courage to tell you in my lifetime. His mother explained that she had always felt guilty for withholding his true origin from him. She had tried several times to commit herself to telling him she had always failed, fearing that if she revealed the truth it would destroy their family. In her later years, she knew that at some point she would have to set the record straight, that she couldn't die without letting the truth be known, even if it was only in writing. So here, wherever here might be, she would finally tell him where he came from. As he knew, their story began in the former Czechoslovakia. But what he didn't know was that before he was born, his mother, Ingrid, had been involved in a civic initiative called Charter 77. They described themselves as a loosely organized association that sought the protection of human and civic rights in Czechoslovakia. In the eyes of the government, though, Charter 77 were traitors and renegades in the early 1980s, while facing arrest for subversion, Ingrid had gone into hiding. She had taken refuge at a convent, and it was there that a question was posed to her. The nuns at the convent had taken into their care several orphan children, two of whom were twins. Milo's hands began to shake when he realized what he was reading, but he read on anyway. The children... Ingrid learned, had been recovered from an abandoned house that stood on the edge of a nearby forest. Its walls were covered in unintelligible writing, and sprawling masses of interconnected diagrams were painted onto the floor. 
The kids had been found alone inside. No one looking after them. No food or water. They were taken back to the convent, where the nuns attempted to care for them. But soon after, strange things started happening. The nuns had begun sleepwalking. They would wake up miles away from their quarters, writhing and groveling on the forest floor. And then, one of them had failed to return. Sister Anna had gone missing, a week before Ingrid arrived. The sisters had descended into hysteria, fearing that something dark had breached their peaceful community. And, upon Ingrid's arrival, they had made her an offer. If she would take the children, at least some of them, as her own, they would help her evade political prosecution and give her the resources she would need to flee the country. Ingrid agreed, taking the twins as her own, and a church van snuck the three of them over the border to Austria, where they boarded a plane to the United States. When asked for the children's names at customs, Ingrid had written Milos and Liska. The letter had sent a shock through Milo. He supposed Ingrid had been right. The information may well have destroyed their family, if it could even still be called that. Reeling from the betrayal, he tossed the letter back in the box where he'd found it, and then he sat down on the ground, feeling weak and hollow. He kept twitching like he sometimes did when he drank too much coffee. Eventually, he calmed himself and steadied his breathing. He stepped out and closed the storage unit's door, locking it shut with the snap of its heavy padlock. When he got back out to his car, he fumbled for a moment with the keys before climbing inside and starting the engine. The police are still asking for the public's help in the investigation of Carson Mueller's death. A preliminary coroner's report states that Mueller's throat had been slit and that his body had almost been entirely drained of blood. Mueller was last seen with an unknown woman who police have described as a person of interest. Public pressure is mounting for law enforcement to make an arrest in the case, as many fear that Mueller's murder is connected to two other disappearances that happened this week alone. Police are still searching for Astrid Bremer, who has been missing since Saturday night, and are now looking for yet another local man named Austin Peck, who disappeared from the Seven Stars Lounge just last night. Authorities are urging anyone with information to come forward. They've set up an anonymous tip line at 796-443-525. Though he was still in shock over the revelation about where he'd come from, he could hear the words being spoken on the radio. He even recognized what was being talked about as familiar. But there was something in the way, a block in his mind that kept him from understanding why it sounded familiar. Even when it was fresh in his mind... He had only perceived the events of the previous night as those of an uncanny dream, and before long, even that dream would fade from his memory. His discovery of the letter would make it harder for Liska to use him, but that too was only a temporary inconvenience. After all, it wasn't the first time he'd found it. He'd learned of his past before, as Liska knew. And now, he had some time to forget. It would be a while before father was hungry again.
Hey, Jeff here. Uh, if you enjoy my podcast, I just want to let you know that I have a Patreon that you can subscribe to. It's $3 per episode, and you get to listen to every episode a few days early. Plus, you also get access to my full-length audiobook, Solace. It's sort of a cosmic horror-slash-mystery story where this journalist uncovers uh, unexplainable disappearance and sort of becomes obsessed with it. You can listen to the first 30 minutes for free in the episode titled Solace. The Patreon also has its own RSS feed, so you can listen on whatever podcasting app you like. And the link for it is in the show notes, as well as in the bio for the show. But if you can't see it, it's patreon.com slash A-C-E-P-H-A-L-E. You can also leave a rating or write a review. That goes a long way for helping the show get listeners. You can follow me on social media. The links for Instagram and Twitter will be in the show notes as well. And of course, just thank you for being here. It really uh, seriously means a lot that you listen to this. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging to mental health, to courage and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.